Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White supremacist extreme. Ah, yes. I love that song. It would be my ringtone if anyone still used ringtones. But honestly, today is not about everything being racist, which of course it is, by the way. Today is everything being ableist. Yes, apparently it's also a thing. You may remember seeing in the news recently that world-renowned flautist Lizzo was forced by the woke Twitter mob to change one of her songs that contained the word spaz, saying it was an offensive term for disabled people. Relatively unknown member of girl power group Destiny's Child, Beyonce Canoles, was also bullied in a similar concession for one of her songs called Spaz. And now, the allegedly former but currently allegedly reuniting boy band Big Time Rush is facing some social media heat for their plans to release a new song called Paralyzed. Critics claim that one of the uh, words, of course, this word paralyzed, is offensive to paralyzed people. No, no really, really is. And as you know, here on Stu Does America, we go out of our way to make sure we defend the underdefended, to speak for the speechless, to woke the unwoken, or whatever we're supposed to do today. So we cannot let famous bands get away with this sort of crap. Uh, we can't let it happen for one second more. That's why I'm personally calling on the following artists to issue public apologies for songs that are scathingly offensive to these minority communities, like Marshmallow for his song, also titled Paralyzed. Consider yourself toasted, Marshmallow. How about Finger Eleven? I've heard of them. For their song, Paralyzer, which is ableist and a threat. How about Chris Calico and Tech N, the number nine, N-E. I want to make sure you understand how that's spelled. For having a song titled Spaz and for making me read those ridiculous names. How about Anti-Flag or Anti-Flag for their song Spaz's House Destruction Party. And for having the name Anti-Flag, which of course is clearly uh, anti the LGBTQQIA2 plus flag, the rainbow flag. This makes them ableist and homophobes and I have absolutely no information to back that up. But. Uh, it's a flag and they're anti-flag. Uh, how about uh, American Power Violence Band, which is apparently a genre. The band is named Spaz. Now, to give them a little bit of a break, they did have two Zs, so it might mean something else, but they broke up back in the year 2000. But they continue to break disenfranchised hearts to this day. Take your power violence elsewhere, Spaz. I expect all of these apologies up by, uh, on Twitter by at least, I don't know, end of, end of business today. Uh, because we do not want to live in a world where everything is ableist. It's bad enough that we live in a world where... Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White supremacist extreme. Stu does America. 
BlazeTV.com slash stew is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code stew to save you 10 bucks. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, like the video. Do it right now. Drop a comment below for all the algorithm robots as well. Stephen Moore is going to be here today to break down the Inflation Reduction Act. That doesn't actually reduce inflation. I've got a big, bold proposal for Elizabeth Warren's political future. But we start by doing Liz Cheney and Sarah Palin. Yes, it's the threesome that nobody asked for, most, most centrally them. This is, I have to say, the strangest set of elections I maybe have ever seen. I can't even describe to you how bizarre what is going to happen tonight is. It's just really, really weird. Let me bring you through uh, these, uh, these, uh, these bizarre, bizarre times that we happen to be in. And today, it's hard to even describe how strange today might be. If you would go back in a time machine and you would go back in that time machine and you'd go back to, let's say, ah, I don't know, 2007. And as you landed in your time machine, which apparently also is a flying machine, when you land on the time machine, you, you land in Wyoming and you walk up to Dick Cheney and you say, hey, Dick, how you doing, Dick? And he would say, please don't, please don't call me that. He'd say in a very deep voice like this, uh, please don't call me that. And you'd say, hey, just want to let you know that you're about 15 years away from the mainstream media and everybody in the left thinking your family are absolute massive heroes. Just so you know, I know they call you Darth Vader every day now, but coming soon to a, an America near you, the left is going to absolutely love you, the mainstream media is going to absolutely love you, and the right is going to hate you. That is your future. That would be really freaking weird to Dick Cheney in 2007, but here we are. Let me give you some examples. CBS News, Liz Cheney took on Trump. Can she survive a Trump-backed challenger in Wyoming? In praise of Liz Cheney from The Guardian, may we have more politicians like her from Robert Reich. Liz Cheney praised for upholding her values despite risk of losing seat. Alec Baldwin compares Liz Cheney to an American Navalny. You know, the Russian guy. How about, I, would, I hope Liz Cheney wins, but... I couldn't vote for her. That's from The Nation. Uh, L.A. Times. Is Liz Cheney the GOP's once and future leader? Hmm. Uh, the bulwark. Liz Cheney's staunch constitutionalism. It really is incredible. Can you imagine going back and telling Dick Cheney that type of coverage was what was going to be happening to his family in just a few years? This is a weird, freaking election. Let me give you another one. Another part of this. We have, in this race, a very strange race. Who's going to win this race? Liz Cheney, she's up for a re-election. But who's going to win fundamentally? Is it going to be? Because we have a matchup here of a known never-Trumper uh, versus uh, someone who voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Who's going to win? Well, obviously, the answer is the known never-Trumper. Huh? Yeah, well, because... Liz Cheney's opponent in this race actually was 
a super big never Trumper. In 2016, she went all the way to the convention and tried to arrange votes so they would overturn the primaries and put Ted Cruz in. Now, I wanted Ted Cruz to win that election, frankly. Uh, He did not. And even I remember all of this going on. There was a lot of talk behind the scenes about how they were going to try to come up with some magical sort of solution at the convention. And I opposed it because even though I thought Ted Cruz would be a pretty good president, I didn't want to. When people vote, you just stick with what people vote for. You don't try to overturn it with some parliamentary trick at the elect, at the uh, convention. I didn't like that idea. Uh, his opponent, Harry, Harriet uh, Hageman, Hageman, I can never say her name, Hageman, uh, she's a Wyoming Republican. She was on the floor of the convention trying to overturn Donald Trump's election in 2016 to get Ted Cruz in. And people forget this. Liz Cheney, think about what the last couple of years have been. 18 months for Liz Cheney. It starts in November of 2020 when Liz Cheney casts her vote for Donald Trump. We forget this. She actually voted for Donald Trump in 2020. The election we're all talking about, that was the way she voted. Now, she had a problem with where Donald Trump went after the election, saying it was uh, it was stolen. And then, of course, into January 6th, she became a big opponent. But we also forget that despite how much she spoke out about Donald Trump, she then survived a vote to remain in the leadership of the Republican Party. She actually won that vote after all of this happened. But she kept talking about it and kept talking about it. And eventually they had another vote in which she was then pushed out. And now she's going to get smoked tonight. That's basically the end of the story. Um, it's kind of it's kind of bizarre, though, uh, when you look back at how strange and how fast all of this happened. Everybody's just jumbled all over the place. All of a sudden, Dick Cheney and Liz Cheney are popular with the mainstream media. And someone who voted for Trump in 2020 is seen as a Trump opponent. Someone who tried to overturn the election in 2016 is seen as a Trump supporter. I can't keep track of it all. It's really a freaking crazy time. Now, there are three basic ways to figure out how Liz Cheney is going to lose this election. Let me give you all three of them. A couple of them you might be familiar with. For example, polling data. Okay, the polling data shows quite clearly that uh, Liz Cheney is going to lose tonight. And lose by probably a lot. Now, there's some people saying that some Democrats are going to cross over and try to vote for Cheney. That probably will happen. But it's going to be really hard to get her up above 50 percent. Right now, if you see, uh, Hageman has a 29-point lead in one poll, a 22-point lead in another poll. Very, very, uh, very, very convincing data that – now, this – race hasn't been polled a ton. It's a very weird race. Would you be shocked if it's more like a 10-point race? Probably not, but I doubt it. You know, but it's not out of the question that she could keep it a little bit closer than people are saying. Uh, if you, uh, another way to look at this is to look at the prediction markets. Now, predict it, which our government is currently uh, in the process of shutting down for absolutely no uh, reason whatsoever. Uh, they show the Wyoming election, Hageman at 98 cents, which means basically 98 percent. Liz Cheney at three cents. Uh, so basically no chance for Cheney to actually win uh, the prediction markets. But both of those, while convincing, aren't nearly as convincing as what the media is saying about this election. There are so many stories out there saying how Liz Cheney is going to do something else as soon as this is over that you absolutely know she's already in her mind lost. 
I heard a report this morning that she's already been writing her speech about how she lost and what she's going to do next. Uh, Liz Cheney approaches likely Wyoming primary loss with defiance. Liz Cheney's political life is likely ending and it's just beginning. Mm. All of this kind of comes down to this bizarre thing that we're doing here, which is Cheney is... She, she took a, an approach, and there's multiple approaches to take with Donald Trump. Some people love him and cheerlead him on anything that he says. Okay. Some people really, really like him. Occasionally, make, they make him uncomfortable. Or he makes them uncomfortable, but they're generally speaking on board for most of the stuff. Some people think, you know, he's, he's done some stuff that is wrong, and you want to be critical of him. But there's ways to do that. I'll give you a good example of this. Uh, Kemp in Georgia who, remember, came out and was very critical of what Donald Trump was saying about the election, said it was not stolen, that the election went very, very well, uh, was very outspoken about this. This got Donald Trump pretty pissed off. He got a very good, high-level opponent to come into the race, David Perdue, and Kemp won by, what, 40 points? How did that happen? Well, it happened, I think, largely because after... Kemp was done with his criticism of Trump, he decided to just go govern. You know, he decided to be a governor and do a good job for the state of Georgia. That's not what Cheney's done. Cheney has gone the other way and just made her entire life about Donald Trump, constantly talking about him, constantly saying, you know, really, we've talked about several times um, where she, I think, has really stretched the information that she has on Donald Trump. Uh, making things that are basically innocuous into, uh, you know, massive claims of, of, uh, of material that should get him thrown out of office and maybe arrested or who knows what. Look, you can be critical of Donald Trump about January 6th. You can say that you didn't like the way he handled it. You can say you don't like the way he handled the election stuff. But like if what you are is just completely obsessed with Donald Trump all the time, if he dominates your life and it's all you talk about, that's how you're going to get judged. And the Republican Party of 2022 is judging you poorly. They don't want that right now. Uh, you know, it's a question of uh, what works and what doesn't. Does this work? It's going to make her a hero on MSNBC. It's going to make her a hero on CNN. She'll probably raise a bunch of money from Democrats and some anti-Trump Republicans. But I don't know. Is that enough? You can't win. You cannot win in the Republican Party to you know, potentially be a presidential candidate and somehow win running on a just I don't like Donald Trump platform. That's just not going to work. And that does seem to be where Liz Cheney has gone. So I do expect her to lose very handily tonight. We will see the results probably later on this evening. My guess is that race will be called tonight. And another big race, my guess is it will not be called tonight. In fact, I can guarantee it will not be called tonight. Sarah Palin looking for a political comeback in Alaska. She's running for uh, the House seat that was vacated by Don Young, who passed away. Now, a couple weird things. This is a weird, weird election. You think the Cheney thing was weird? Wait to hear about this one. Okay, so Sarah Palin's running. She's running against uh, Mark the III, who is of the Begich family, very well known in Alaska, but they're known as Democrats. Now, you might say, well, how is a Democrat running against Sarah Palin in a primary? Well, he's not a d Democrat. He's a Republican. So this really famous Democratic family has a Republican who is now running with a name recognition in Alaska, but also running in the opposite party. 
Very, very weird. Okay. Sarah Palin, obviously very well-known figure. She is back here and she's running now. But that's just one of the weird things that's going on. Alaska is going to use rank choice voting for the first time in their special election with Sarah Palin. And so Don Young dies. They're going to have a special election. They already had a primary for this election, went on before, and now they're going to have the general election. Now, this is how, just going to give you some of the details on the ranked choice uh, stuff. In the past, the winners of each party's re- respective primary advanced to a general election. Under the new system, there will be one ballot available to all registered voters with each candidate in a given race. The top four vote getters, regardless of party affiliation, head to the general election. Voters in the general election can then rank candidates by order of preference. A consensus winner is selected if no one wins more than 50% of the first choices. Nice and simple, right? But of course, wait a minute. Is this a primary election or is this a general election? And of course, the answer to that is yes. In fact, it's both. There are two separate elections going on on the same day. One is a primary election and one is a general election. So basically what happened is Don Young died in March. The last six months has been trying to figure out who will be in the general election to fill the seat of Don Young. So, what, five months of trying to figure out who's going to take Don Young's seat. When that election does happen, they will serve for like six months because there will be another election in November. You following me so far? In November to get the real winner of the seat, not the special election winner, but the real winner who will serve a two year term. That primary for that election in November is also happening tonight. So you have a primary for November. Everyone's like, what the hell is this guy talking about? You have a primary election happening tonight for the November general election. And you have the general election for the special election seat that was already previously held for a primary. I don't see how you're not following this. And of course, it's also ranked choice voting. To add another wrinkle to this, the election is tonight, which is what, the 17th, 16th? What is today? 16th or 17th? I don't remember what it is. And so that election is going to go on, but we will not find out who won tonight because they cannot do the ranked choice process of this election until every single vote has arrived. And because of the laws in Alaska and everyone living nine zillion miles away from each other, they have all the way until August 31st to turn in their votes. They have to be postmarked by today, but they can be overseas military votes and all that. So they have to wait. They have to wait until August 31st to start doing the process of the ranked choice voting where you have four candidates and you rank them one through four or you could just rank a couple of them. Nice and simple, right? Will Ch- uh, there's a piece in 538. Will Cheney and Murkowski survive their Trump-backed primary challengers? Also talk about the Palin race. Now, po- pa- uh, polling in Alaska is terrible because there's four people there and they all live on corners on mountains, under the ice, under 14 feet of ice. It's very hard to, uh, to, uh, to contact them. There's a place called Chicken, Alaska, that me and my kids, we always ask about what is the temperature in Chicken, Alaska. If you ask your Alexa, she will tell you. And usually it's one of the coldest places on the planet. This is why we always talk about it. There's like 20 people who live there. 
And uh, I, I, I don't know how you'd get in touch with any of them. They don't have electricity, really. They have generators. They don't have internet. They don't have, I don't think they have phones. Uh, I don't think there's any way to actually talk to the people there. So that's just the way it goes. There's, this is the state. That's Alaska for you. Um, polling in Alaska, really, really unreliable. There's not much great polling about this race. We know there was an election held, the primary, where Sarah Palin came in first, but we haven't gone through the ranked choice part of this, which is really probably going to decide it. Uh, Don Young, of course, passed away. You've got the baggage situation that we covered. Oh, and the other thing is the third candidate that has a chance here is uh, Peltola. She is, uh, I think, Mary Peltola, I think she's, I don't know, she's some, she would be the first, she's some, like, glass ceiling breaker. She'd be the first Native American Alaskan Aleutian Eskimo something to ever win the seat. So who's going to win this? Well, we can't really look at polling. We can look at what people might think is going to happen. They think Sarah Palin's going to win this race. This is the predicted uh, prediction markets, 61%. Nick Bagich, 28%. Uh, Peltola at 15%. What's really fascinating about all of this is that we have a situation where we kind of have the two previous waves of the Republican Party of, I guess you'd call maybe the conservative movement, uh, that are matching up in big elections today. It was, first, it was the, the Bush-Cheney sort of legacy. That one looks like it's going to go down hard uh, tonight. Then you have Palin, who's kind of came up in the Tea Party um, wave. Uh, she was obviously the VP candidate in 2008, but kind of thrived with Tea Party voters as that developed into 2010. And she's sort of become a real Trump uh, supporter as well, which is sort of the third movement. We're seeing a lot of people win that have been endorsed by Donald Trump. It's going to be a fascinating thing to, to, uh, to watch. And I will tell you, one of the weirdest election nights you will ever see, it happens tonight, and we'll give you the results, at least for Wyoming, probably tomorrow, and then for Alaska, maybe in the year 2026. Grip 6, yes. A great company, fashionable, customizable belts, great wallets, awesome socks. It's a small company in Utah, sells in the United States, but all over the world as well. But they source almost everything they use to make their products right here in America. Even like wool, which is something that is almost never sourced in America. That's the case if you have you get the wool socks from Grip6 sourced right here in America. They have the great carbon fiber stuff. It won't set off all the alarms at the airport. That's really cool. It can be customizable. They're minimalist if you have the uh, the belts or the wallets. You can go to grip6.com slash stew and use the code stew to save 15%. This company does this this way because they want to. They don't have to. They could outsource everything all over the world as well. They decided not to do that. They want to go a different way because they love this country and they want to help small businesses and suppliers here in America. They're taking that step that we always want companies to take. They've taken it already. Grip, the number six dot com slash stew. Get 15% off today. Grip six dot com uh, slash stew. Get 15% off today. Well, it's a big day, boys and girls. Yes, the Inflation Reduction Act is here to save all of your economic futures. I can think of no one I'd rather speak to about this than Stephen Moore. Uh, he is the co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, the senior economist for FreedomWorks, a distinguished fellow for the Heritage Foundation, author of many amazing books, former Trump uh, economic advisor, uh, Wall Street Journal editorial board. He's done everything. He knows all about this stuff. And Stephen joins us now. Stephen, how's it going? I see. Well, today was a pretty black day for America. This is a horrific bill. 
sometimes I wonder if these people are intentionally trying to bankrupt our country. But other than that, I'm doing just fine. It's <laughs> good to hear. Let's start with the bill here. It's the Inflation Reduction Act. And I guess the obvious first question here is, does it actually reduce inflation? Of course it doesn't. Well, it will it will influence inflation, but it will drive it up, not down. You've got seven hundred and thirty billion dollars of more spending by the government. That obviously raises inflation. Right. When you have the government spending money, it doesn't have. And then you have another we don't know the exact number, somewhere around 600, 700 billion dollars of taxes on our businesses. If you raise taxes on businesses, they're going to have to raise their prices or reduce their output. And so uh, the impact on this will be quite negative for the economy overall. In fact, it's it's an atrocious bill. I can't think of a single thing in this bill that is positive for the economy, positive for growth. It really is incredible. And, I, you know, I never had any faith in Joe Manchin to hold a line on a bill like this. I, I Broke our hearts. Yep. I know. I know. I, once they got the, those two Georgia seats, you knew they're going to get two of these bills. They're going to they're wind up going to spend two point six trillion dollars. It could have been worse, I suppose. But this is still really, really bad. I want to go through some of the spending items here, which. Yeah, let me just say something about yeah. Joe Manchin, if I may, because, please, please. you know, he was the one um, who really did break our hearts. He had been saying for almost nine months that we didn't need more spending and more taxes, more green energy. And of course, that's exactly the deal that he cut, was, which so he really reneged on just about everything he had said. And what's really troubling, because he was there behind the president today during the bill signing ceremony. And do you know what state is the biggest loser from this bill? Mm. I, I would guess it might just be West Virginia. <laughs> Well, you could make a strong argument for that. If it's if West Virginia isn't the biggest loser, it's certainly in the bottom five. And so this was not just a betrayal of all the things that Joe Manchin has said he stood for, but it's also a betrayal of every voter and worker in the state of West Virginia. And a state that, you know, voted for Donald Trump by 40 points. How this guy is the senator from West Virginia, I will I will never know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, well, you know, because he's faked it. He keeps saying things like, oh, I'm, I'm in favor of coal and I'm in favor of... Uh, and I'm a moderate Democrat, but this is a perfect example of how these, quote, moderate Democrats always vote with their leadership. It's important for your uh, listeners and viewers to understand that not a single Republican voted for this bill, and it would not have passed if every single Democrat in the Senate had not voted for it. Mm, that really is incredible. Let's look at the energy part of this, because there is some talk uh, that people saying, OK, well, there is there is some assistance for nuclear in there. There's some assistance for fossil fuels in there. But mainly this is just throwing money at green technologies and giveaways to big green energy. Is it not? Yeah, I call it the climate change industrial complex, which is now a trillion dollar industry. And it just gives money to investors and the uh, the people who run those industries, the lobbyists, the green lobby. And um, it really jeopardizes it's a real blow to American energy independence. I, I was laughing because I saw one of the congressman from a swing district who voted for this bill say, oh, I voted for this bill because it's going to make American energy independent. I'm thinking, what the hell is he talking about? We were energy. I work for Trump. We were energy independent. And they came in. The first thing they did is kill pipelines, kill the energy infrastructure, go after the oil and gas and coal industry. And somehow these people actually believe, I mean, this is how delusional they are, if they actually believe what they say, that we're going to be able to operate a $23 trillion industrial economy that makes cars and steel and technology and construction and manufactured goods with windmills. I mean, it is the most 
bizarre, lunatic idea, but they really, I guess they really believe that because that's what this agenda would do. And the big winners from this, unfortunately, are China and Russia, because we are now seeding the coal industry. It, within five years, China is going to have five times more coal production than the United States. Uh, do you think that President Xi cares about climate change? And then you've got Russia that's going to take over the oil industry. So our two greatest adversaries, we're just handing them over control of the world energy supply. I mean, it, it, I want to tear my hair out. <laughs> it really is amazing. You could tell what they really think of this bill by how many times they have to lie about it. They have to call, say it's about inflation reduction. They have to yeah. say it's given, getting us to energy independence. These are just flat out lies. And oh, don't forget the other one that uh, they, they, how many times did Joe Biden say this won't tax people who make less than $400,000? Of course it does. Uh, they say the IRS won't go after you know, lower and middle income people. But of course, the audits will go after those people. I mean, I, we could spend a half an hour talking about the lies in this bill. I know. It really is incredible. Let's go to the tax side of this for a second before we come back to the green stuff, because that part's really frustrating. I mean, Biden says this every single time. He never seems to get fact checked on it. He's not going to raise taxes on anybody who makes less than $400,000 a year. Yet every independent analysis says that's exactly what this will do. Yeah, even the government's analysis, own, the Democrats' own budget office says it will raise taxes. I, I don't actually even see how they can, you know, pretend that, that this isn't going to raise taxes on the, on, the, on the lower income people. But but the most important point is it taxes our businesses. It taxes our manufacturing, our steel industry, our coal industry, our auto industry. Why, why would we want to do that? You know, when I worked for Trump, our whole idea was to make the tax, bring the tax rates down in the U.S. so we could bring a lot of those jobs and manufacturing back. And we did that. We brought a lot of those jobs and factories back. And now Biden is pushing them right back out to China and India and Mexico again. Yeah, it's so strange. It's such a strange approach. And it seems to be a really poorly designed bill as well. One of the big uh, supposed gains as far as revenue is this 15 percent uh, corporate minimum tax that they've implemented, while at the same time granting all sorts of green tax credits to these companies. And it seems like these two things are going to work against each other. You're going to give tax credits to these companies for using green energy, but then you're going to have to tax them anyway to this minimum rate. It's going to wind up ta canceling out half of these programs. That's a great point. And one of the kind of rich ironies of this bill, I don't know if to laugh or cry, but, you know, Biden made a big deal about, it. oh, there's all these companies out there that are not, not paying any taxes and, and every company should pay their fair share. And then they have they said, therefore, we're going to have this minimum tax. Oh, by the way, the minimum tax isn't going to apply to the green energy companies. Oh, OK. So, I mean, what this is, is doing exactly the opposite of what we want our politicians and our government to do. It tries to pick winners and losers. You know, it tries to say, OK, we like this industry. We're going to give them money. We don't like that industry. We're going to take it away from them. We're gonna, we don't like that industry. We're going to impose price controls on them. And they even create a basically a... Um, a venture capital fund with taxpayer money inside the uh, the National Science Foundation. I mean, do you want these people investing your money? <laughs> and they actually believe they can pick winners and losers. One of the reasons the United States is such an incredibly successful company economically is we have these incredibly successful um, capital markets that that allocate capital to its most you know high value added sources and and we're taking the money away from those markets and we're putting the hands money in the hands of politicians 
I, I just don't get the logic of it. Mm. I think there's an incredible lesson here in the in the uh, electric car credits as well. We were sold initially that each company would get 200,000, their first 200,000 cars that they would get as tax credit. Get these cars, these companies started. Then, of course, companies like Tesla and GM blow by that number. They're no longer getting the credits. So we have to come back and give them uh, the credits. But then they've layered on so many layers, uh, Stephen, of protectionism and union stuff and all these weird conditions that the reports are that 70 percent of the industry is not going to get the tax credits after all. They can't make their minds up. Yeah, it's the right hand of the government not knowing what the left hand of the government is doing. So you're right. They they set up this incredible uh, kind of contraption so that we can get money to these green energy companies, uh, you know, that make, for example, batteries and and make uh, electric cars, but then people protest and say, wait a minute, the, the, the windmills and the solar panels and the electric batteries are made in China. They say, okay, well, we're not gonna allow the subsidies to go any car manufacturer that, may, that buys the engines and the, and the technology from China. But then, as you just said, that says, oh, wait a minute, now two thirds aren't gonna be able to get the funding. I mean, it's, 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 again, it's almost comical how incompetent these people are. And they are the ones who are, by the way, you know, I'm the one who did the study who looked at, you know, the Biden administration. We found that uh, the, the majority of the people who are the economists and, and the people who are involved in, you know, decisions regarding our transportation and our finance and our manufacturing have zero business experience. They don't, they have, they're, they, mm. the, not only have they not run a business, they've never even worked for a business. These are the people who are going to be making decisions about our economy? Uh, it is terrifying. Uh, Stephen, let's go, let's go over to the health care part of this, because this is another big part of the bill. Uh, people, if there's anything that might be kind of popular with the American people, it could be the limiting on the insulin prices has got a lot of attention. Um, there's a lot of, I would call it price fixing in this bill. People just like that. I mean, they, they seem to like whenever the government comes in and says something that you're buying only costs this much, no matter how much it really costs. What is the effect of price fixing on, on our health care? Well, you're right. So this has uh, a lot of um, money that they raise by putting um, price controls on the drug industry. And, you know, I find that objectionable because um, do, do we want to find the race, win the race for the cure for cancer? and MS and Alzheimer's and ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, all of these horrible crippling diseases, we have the capacity within the next 10 or 15 years of finding treatments and cures for these. And yet, if you're gonna take the money out of the drug industry, guess what, There's, that's gonna mean less research and development. Now, people may think that's worth it, you know, to get drugs at a cheaper price now, but that means the wonder drugs of the future are gonna be delayed. And I'm sorry, I, I want to I want to win the race for the cure. Think of all the money that we donate to try to make sure that we can get the cures for these terrible diseases. So there is a price here, folks. There's no such thing as a free lunch. If you're going to put these new ta essential taxes on our uh, drug companies, they're going to do less development. It's, it's that simple. And think of what all that development here in the U.S. does, not only here, but around the world. These drugs get developed here, and then they're spread all over the world and do good for millions and millions of people all over the world. Um, 
let me hit you on the uh, the uh, the some, a couple of these tax parts of this. Uh, the the stock buyback tax, which to me seems like it's going to really negatively affect markets, um, and also the carried interest loophole, which was the cinema holdout point, which they wound up getting removed from the from the bill. We're told that everybody hates this; it's the worst thing in the world and does nonstop damage and only benefits hedge fund managers. What's the truth with these two pieces? Well, let me first say that Kristen Cinema was also a you know, huge disappointment. She had been saying for a year she didn't think that the economy needed more taxes, and she was absolutely right. You, you know, since when do you raise taxes in a recession? I mean, really? I mean, it makes no how sense. stupid is this? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're gonna. We have an economy that's kind of flat on its back right now, and we had no growth and contraction in the economy in the first half of the year. You got runaway inflation. You got 80 percent of Americans who think the economy's red in the wrong direction, and you raise taxes. <laughs> I'm just mystified by even the logic of any of this. And so, uh, look, I'm not a big, uh, I don't have a horse in the race about this, uh, you know, this issue about the, uh, uh, what'd you call it? The, the carried um, interest or the stock buyback? Yeah, the stock buybacks. I mean, that's fine. I, I, I think raising taxes on investors right now means that oh, the money's just going to come out of your 401k plan. So, <laughs> you know, that's everybody owns stock. And when you tax stocks, you tax stock transactions, what this bill does, then that just drains money out of the market altogether. And so I think that's a bad idea. Look, let me be very simple, Pip, this very simple. We should be cutting spending. We should be cutting taxes right now. We're doing, this bill does exactly the opposite. We don't need to get into the weeds why they do this, that, the other thing. It's a $750 billion increase in the budget at a time where Biden, since they came into office, has already spent over the normal budget $3.2 trillion. When you have this on, that's $4 trillion. That's almost as much as we spend adjusted for inflation to win World War II. Oh. I mean, and where is this money gone? Where is it? It's absolutely incredible. And I know you worked hard to do those very basic things that we should be doing during the Trump administration. And of course, if your work throughout your history. Well, my biggest frustration, frankly, mm-hmm. Stu, is that, and I look, I'm biased. I worked for Trump. I was with him many times in the, where we talked a lot about economic policy. I believe that right now, if Trump were still president, the US, we wouldn't be talking about recession. We, we would be booming. The yeah. US, we would be talking about needing to get oil from Saudi Arabia and Russia and these other countries. We would be producing all our own energy. I mean, we've made every single mistake over the last 18 months, and we're paying a high price for it. And now we have this new law that's going to kick in that's going to make everything worse. And if you're a conservative like you are and I am, or you're a Republican donor, Watch out, because we didn't even talk about the absolute worst feature of this bill, which is they have hired 87,000 new IRS auditors who are coming after. They will weaponize the IRS. I guarantee it. Just like they've weaponized the State Department, just like they've weaponized the FBI, the Justice Department. They're not going after Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Zuckerberg and Disney and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, Google. They are going after you and they will use this to try to shut up and shut down their political enemies, people like you and me and Glenn Beck and others. And that's scary. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Stephen Moore, co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, senior economist for FreedomWorks and distinguished fellow for the Heritage Foundation. Stephen, really appreciate you coming on and, and breaking this down for us. Thank you. Take care.
If you missed yesterday's show, we went through the one-year anniversary of the debacle in Afghanistan, overseen by one Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. He's the president of the United States currently, and he's not doing the job of a president of the United States, but he is there in the office. Um, we uh, commissioned a wonderful celebratory line of merchandise. It's right here, the Taliban Joe. It's a person of the year. Mm-hmm. And it looks like the time cover, uh, but it actually says person of the year, Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan and Taliban Joe, President Joe Biden, his smiling picture on it. We actually have somebody who, uh, who works here who shall remain nameless, uh, but was wearing this, sh- <laughs> wearing this shirt out and walked into a Sprouts, which is like, you know, one of these like frou-frou organic grocery stores. And uh, was talking to the person at the cashier stand. They said, oh, hey, I see your shirt. What does it say? And he says person of the year. And they, I guess, didn't read it all that closely. And they said, oh, good job. I love that guy. I love that guy. And you just, I, it, this is why I love this particular shirt, because you'll get dumb liberals to look at you and do that. They'll be like, oh, someone's got a good Joe Biden celebratory shirt. And they're never going to pick up what you're actually doing. Uh, however, <laughs> you will be saying something very, very clear that Joe Biden oversaw the most pathetic debacle and cataclysmic disaster in modern American foreign policy uh, history. And it's something that while we have seen a lot of other stuff go on over the past year, it's important that we remember it. You can get it at stewdoesmerch.com, stewdoesmerch.com. Use the code STU10 to save 10% off your purchase. It's stewdoesmerch.com, uh, or you can go to talibanjoemerch.com, which we did realize was an actual thing. TalibanJoeMerch.com. Use the code STU10. Back in a second. Buying or selling a home. Mmm, so much fun. Don't you love having people just walk through your house all the time? When you, and and one of the things I love is just leaving. When they come to buy that, you just have to leave for like a half an hour. No big deal. Not an inconvenience at all. And then they walk around and poke through your stuff and poke through your personal space. And, and then they don't give an, an offer on the house. Well, that used to be the way it is. Now I think they, don't even, they just they go online in California and buy it sight unseen. I don't know. However you're selling your home these days, you've got to make sure you have the best real estate agent available to understand which offer is really good. I, you know, I've seen these situations where you have multiple offers that go above asking price. But some of them are shady. Some of them don't really have the financial backing. You don't know how it's going to work out. You need a good real estate agent to help you sort through all the nonsense. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there today. There's a great sketch comedy show called The Birthday Boys. And they, there's this one sketch where they're talking about this company, Freshies, and they're running this social media ad campaign. They say, how do you freshie? And it's like, how do you eat your burger? I eat it upside down. I eat it while with the burgers turned, buns turned inside out or whatever. And they're, they're kind of celebrating these cheesy social media campaigns that everybody does. And then there's a group of guys watching the commercial and they say, I can't believe they want to know how we freshie. And they all film their own videos and they get so excited and they, 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 just, they have such a great time. They decide to call freshies and thank the social media designer for what a great time they had. And the social media designer is so proud. He calls his mom and his mom says, I can't believe how great that education paid off. You really have done it. Congratulations. And then he's sitting there really self-assured looking at the camera and then on the bottom of 
screen says, none of this has ever occurred. <laughs> the point is that Elizabeth Warren has been telling a story about how she says, quote, everyone comes up to me and says, I would vote for you if you had a penis. Literally, no one has ever done that. That has not occurred ever one time ever. Even, there might be people who come up and say, you know, I bet you would have won if you were a man. Possible. I bet people maybe came up and said, you know, I know some people who would vote for you if you were a man. But no one ever owned the idea that I would vote for you if you had a penis. None of this has ever occurred, ever. Your conservative friends will crack up. Your liberal friends will hate you by going to blazesocks.com. Get these socks, they're really funny. Even socks with Glenn Beck's face on it. How could you miss that? Uh, use the promo code BLAZESUB if you're a Blaze subscriber. Get 20% off your purchase. It's only available to Blaze TV subscribers. It's blazesocks.com. The code is BLAZESUB for 20% off. Thank you so much for supporting the Blaze and blazesocks.com.